Okay, our chapter for today is Matthew chapter 9, and there's a number of miracles in this chapter, many of them, most of them, I guess, uh, different healings. Uh, Jesus calls Matthew to be his disciple here, and um, there's just a few noteworthy truths and observations to see in this chapter, so let's just see what some of them are. Uh, And the first thing I want us to see or a first theme to think about in this chapter, is the deity of Jesus. The deity of Jesus, that is, Jesus is divine, he's God. This chapter opens with a couple of pieces of evidence of the deity of Jesus. One of the basic beliefs of biblical Christianity is the deity of Jesus. He is God who took on human flesh. And we believe this not only because the Bible sometimes straightforwardly calls Jesus God. For example, John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And there's several times where that truth is just very straightforwardly uh, asserted. 1 John 5, 20, Romans 9, 5, Hebrews 1, 7, and 8, Titus 2, 13, 2 Peter 1, 1, John 20, 27 and 28. That's where Thomas falls down and says, my Lord and my God, to Jesus. We don't only believe that Jesus is divine because of those straightforward uh, statements, but also because the Bible presents Jesus doing things and saying things that only God can do or say. And we have an example of that here in Matthew 9. The chapter begins with people bringing a paralytic to Jesus for healing. And instead of simply granting the physical healing, Jesus declares to the paralytic that his sins are forgiven uh, because of his faith. That's in verse 2. Some of the scribes responded to hearing Jesus say this by accusing him of blasphemy, which, just think about that, by biblical definition, blasphemy is to slander or speak carelessly about God. So they accused him of this because they knew that claiming to forgive a person's sins is the same as claiming that you are God himself. In fact, Mark and Luke's version of this episode, in in those accounts, they actually say, who can forgive sins but God alone? That's exactly right. They understood Jesus was claiming deity for himself here, but they clearly did not believe and so interpreted his words as blasphemy. Of course, Knowing that Jesus is God, his words are not blasphemy at all. Also, two verses later, in verse 4, Jesus gives us more evidence of his deity when he says he knew their thoughts. Now, in his teaching on prayer in the Sermon on the Mount, remember, Jesus had already declared that our Heavenly Father knows what you need before, he, before you ask him. That's Matthew 6, 8. In other words, God the Father knows our thoughts before the words are on our tongues. Jesus, in this passage, possesses the same ability here in in Matthew 9, 4. Throughout his earthly life, Jesus did things that only God can do. We'll see more of that as we move our way through the Gospels. And that is an important um, indicator of his deity. And for that reason, he is worthy of all of our worship and allegiance. So that's the first thing we see here, the deity of Jesus. But as you keep reading, another idea that pops out of you is, out to you is the joy of knowing Jesus. Um, 
in previous chapters in Matthew, we talked about the authority of Jesus' words. And while we, we see another example of that in his calling of Matthew, I mean, note, when you read Jesus calling Matthew in verse 9, just kind of observe Matthew's immediate obedience. I mean, he, he rose and left everything and followed Jesus. But I want us to um, uh, focus on, on Matthew's further response. And so not only did Matthew immediately obey the call and leave his tax table, but in verse 10 we read, And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. Whose house? Where were they? Well, Mark and Luke specify that this was taking place in Matthew's house. That's Mark 2.15 and Luke 5.29. And Luke specifically mentions that Matthew was giving a great feast for the Lord. Luke 5.29. That's, by the way, the, the, the key passage uh, from which you, you may have heard people talk about throwing a Matthew party. That, that's taken after this um, calling of Matthew. And when he uh, met Jesus and agreed to follow him, in his joy he, he threw a great feast and invited all of his other friends who wanted, he, he wanted them to meet Jesus. And, uh, and so it, that's a great um, evangelistic tool for us. And that's a great way to reach out to our, our friends and neighbors is by inviting them into our home and, and, and over, a, over a meal together, uh, share Christ with them. But in this, I think we also get a sense of the overwhelming joy that Matthew felt in his heart of just knowing Jesus and being known by Jesus. And, and, and he, he was overcome with joy because he knew the reality and, and depths of his sin. And he knew that what he had just received from the Lord Jesus Christ was gracious love and, and, and merciful forgiveness. And I, that, that's just a real truth of Scripture. When we truly understand and remember those things about ourselves, that's when we begin to feel anew the same joy that Matthew felt over his new life in Christ. Here's something else to notice. And that's the humility of Jesus in this chapter. Paul teaches us about the humility of Jesus in, in his letter to the Philippians. If you think about uh, Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 8. But here in Matthew 9, we kind of see that in action. In verses 18 through 26, we're told the story of a girl who um, had died and her father coming to Jesus in faith that Jesus could bring her back to life again. By the time Jesus got to the scene, there was already a large crowd of mourners gathering. That's in verse 23. And Jesus was intent on performing the miracle. And he asked the crowd to go outside and said, the girl is not dead but sleeping. Verse 24. This was Jesus' way of giving hope to them and indicating what he was about to do. But when Jesus said this to the crowd, their response to him in verse 24 was, and they laughed at him. They laughed at him. And I'll just confess to you now, my own sinful heart, my sinful response at that moment, if, if I had been there, and, and, and they had, when I had that intention and they laughed at me, my, I'll be honest with you, my, my sinful response at that moment would have been to walk away. But thankfully, Jesus had no sin. 
And in an incredible display of humility, he raised the girl back to life and health despite the crowd laughing at him. I mean, it's impossible for our puny and finite minds to understand the depths to which God the Son stooped for our forgiveness and salvation. But we should be thankful for his humility. Finally, uh, the, the chapter ends with a pr- uh, command to pray for laborers. Jesus ends this chapter um, noting the great need for people to hear the message of salvation. The Apostle Paul rightly asks, how are they to hear without someone preaching? It's Romans ten fourteen, And Jesus instructs us here to pray for the Lord to raise up laborers to go into all the world to preach the good news. So pray this prayer as Jesus commands. And I'll leave you with this. If you're praying honestly, then you need to bear in mind always that as you pray, the Lord may be calling you.